0: We finished up last week, uh, chapter 16 of Romans. So we've gone verse by verse by verse uh, through the whole book of Romans over the last uh, 20 weeks or so. Uh, So we've gone through the whole book, and last week, after we finished it up, I asked uh, Jake Ward. I said, uh, "I said, what should I teach next week? I've got one week. We've got next week. We're doing a singing night, and then after that is VBS, and then after that we're doing a summer series. And so this is." just kind of a standalone lesson and I said what should I do and he said Philemon and I said I like it let's do that so let's do Philemon but let's do it let's do Philemon in the context of what we've been studying in Romans so let's think about what we've studied in Romans what we've learned hopefully uh, what we have applied from this book um, and look at how a book like Philemon is an application of ...of the theological truths that are laid out in the book of Romans. Uh, Because that's what Romans is. Romans is deeply theological, but it's also incredibly practical. Because Paul lays out all of these truths and says, okay, here's how these truths will change you you... ...if indeed you are buried with Jesus and you become this new kind of human being. And Philemon is this short little letter... That is a, an incredibly practical application of the theological truths laid out in the book of Romans. So I thought, I'm going to take one more stab at uh, at a uh, summary of Romans, this time sort of couched not only in everything that we talked about over the last 20 weeks, but also more, more practical, more you, you know, this is what it will do for you. So the right response to God, to God's merciful, it should say God's mer God, oh, so let me start again. The right response to God mercifully rescuing you from the reign of sin and death is to do good. So here's the response of God mercifully rescuing you is to do good and not evil, pursue peace and edification, love the church, love your neighbors, love your enemies, be subject to governing authorities and welcome others as God welcomes. As you walk in this kind of wisdom, innocence and obedience, you are participating. You are participating in God's victory over evil. You remember in chapter 16 last week, Paul said, and God will crush Satan's head or crush Satan under your, under y'all's, under y'all's foot, under the church's foot. So you are participating in God's victory over evil as you walk in this kind of wisdom, innocence, and obedience, okay? So with that sort of in mind, all of those things in mind, that God is rescuing his creation and that because God has been so merciful and so gracious to you as to adopt you and justify you and give you his spirit... Because God has done these things for you, here's how you should respond. Love the church, pursue peace, love your neighbors, love your enemies, be subject to the governing authorities, welcome others. So Paul lays out all of those things. And then Philemon is a terrific uh, sort of case study. This is what the gospel does to Paul. This is what the gospel does to Philemon or what it should do to Philemon. What the gospel does to someone like Onesimus, who was a servant or a slave. So if you know the story of Philemon, you know that Onesimus uh, was apparently a slave uh, who belonged to Philemon. And at some point, Onesimus ran away. And so he he was a runaway slave and he left Philemon, who probably lived in Colossae, and ran away from Philemon, and he went and he found Paul in Rome. Paul was a prisoner in Rome, and, and Paul built a relationship with Onesimus, and he apparently learned the gospel. He became a follower of Jesus. He served and and loved Paul. Paul and Onesimus had sort of a father-son relationship. They loved each other. They were useful to each other. They blessed each other. And then at this point, Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon with this letter. And so he goes back to Colossae and back to the, the, his former owner. And, 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 as you can imagine, whether or not you know a whole lot about that time period, as you can imagine, uh, going back to the place where you had been a slave was an incredibly dangerous thing. Because by law, Philemon could severely punish uh, Onesimus. And so going back was was sort of taking a huge risk uh, on, on, Ph- on Onesimus's part. Uh, but Paul is sending Onesimus back. Onesimus back to, to Philemon. So let's look at the letter that he sends Philemon. Uh, there's only one chapter, or so verses one and two. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, so Paul is writing from his imprisonment, and Timothy, our brother, so Timothy is, is writing with him, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphea, our sister, maybe Philemon's wife, and Archippus, our fellow soldier and the church in your house. So again, we talked last week in Romans 16 about all of these churches that were meeting in different people's homes. And, and here Philemon is a, is a homeowner in which he's leveraging his house and his goods. He's leveraging his position and his, uh, his wealth. For the sake of the church, right? And he's letting people um, meet in his house. The, house the, the church gathers in his home. But I want you to look at this Archippus for just a second. What does he call him? Our fellow what? Soldier, right? Our fellow, fellow soldier. Now, we, we probably are pretty familiar with the fact that Paul uses sort of military language when he's talking about spiritual things sometimes. Think about Ephesians chapter 6. Right, Ephesians chapter 6, and he, he talks about this spiritual warfare and standing firm in the Lord, and every now and then he'll refer to someone who is a fellow Christian as a fellow soldier, and, and sometimes we stop and we talk about spiritual warfare and how we're at war with the forces of darkness and how there's a spiritual battle going on, but I think that most of the time, and feel free to correct me later if I'm wrong, but uh, but. But I think most of the time we talk about spiritual warfare, we think about it in terms of our own personal struggle with sin, right? Sort of the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other shoulder kind of thing. You know, we think about it as our own personal struggle with sin and our own personal struggle with temptation. And and that's true. And there is a spiritual battle going on that, that you're sort of in the mix of. But again, as we've been talking about through this whole series of lessons, it's bigger than you, isn't it? It's, it's cosmic. It, it, it's the entire creation. There, is, there are things going on that are bigger th- than you. And, and, and that's not to say that your struggles aren't important. They are. But sometimes sometimes we get so bogged down in our struggles because we don't have a perspective that sees there's a lot of stuff going on in the world outside of me. And sometimes if we were to open our eyes up to the bigger battle at, at hand, we, we, we might have an easier time dealing with our own struggles if we opened it up and we realized there, there are a lot of people suffering in the world. There's a lot of evil in the world. There's a lot of wrong going on in the world. And you and I, by walking in step with the gospel through this wisdom, through this obedience, through this innocence, through simple things like loving your neighbor... And loving your enemy and being subject to the governing authorities and welcoming people into the church. These kind of simple things that we seem mundane, they're not mundane. You are participating in God defeating evil in the world. You are overcoming evil with Romans 12, with what? Good By you doing good, and by you keeping in mind that there is a huge battle. When Paul talks in Ephesians 6, he says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's spiritual warfare. It's more than just, yeah, I have these temptations and I struggle with this. And that's, I'm not discounting that or saying that's unimportant. But that's just a small piece of, of what's going on. When Paul addresses someone as his fellow soldier. He's saying, you and I, we've got this perspective and we realize that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and the authorities, the cosmic powers in this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And you and I, we are... We are making warfare on those spiritual forces in the world. That's what all of us are called to do, isn't it? To go to war. And every day that we allow the gospel of Jesus, the fact that God is rescuing his creation by adopting and justifying and giving his spirit to those who have faith in Jesus Christ, when we have this big picture in mind that God is crushing Satan under the feet of Jesus' body, which is the church, that you are participating with God in defeating evil in the world by doing good, by walking in innocence and wisdom and obedience, when we sort of have this big picture in mind, it, it changes, changes everything, doesn't it? To realize that when you go to school or you go to work, Or when you're dealing with your family, or you're dealing with your neighbor, or you're dealing with, uh, we have kids in sports, you know, we have a son in sports, and sometimes we deal with, you know, other parents and coaches and things going on there, you know? And, And all of that seems so mundane, right? You're dealing with neighbors, you're dealing with coworkers, you're dealing with family members, and it just seems so ordinary, but there's other things going on. Because all of those things, the evil that you suffer and the hardship that you suffer is just a tiny piece of this huge, big picture. And you are participating in bringing the light and overcoming the darkness. By doing what? By fighting people? No. Paul says, no, our battle is not against flesh and blood. You overcome evil with good. By doing these sorts of things, by loving your neighbor and loving your brothers and sisters in Christ, and loving your enemies, the people that hate you, you are participating with God in destroying darkness and bringing light. Isn't that what Jesus said? You, you are the light of the world. You say, I'm the light of the world, but so are you. You become sons and daughters of light as you take up your cross and follow Jesus as this story about Jesus, as this truth, this reality about Jesus, as the cross of Jesus begins to and continues to shape you and mold you, you are Paul's fellow soldier. We are fellow soldiers. Wouldn't it be healthy if we thought of things that way? that whatever it is that you're doing in the world, whether you're going to work or you're retired and you're you know spending time with your spouse or your, your grandkids or you're spending time with your neighbors or you're out and you're involved in your community, your HOA, you, whatever it is that you're doing, you can be doing warfare there by bringing good and overcoming and defeating darkness by living a cross-shaped life, a gospel-shaped life. So again... What I'm saying is spiritual warfare is more than just our own personal struggle with sin. It's cosmic. It's, uh, it's universal. It's something that we're participating in on a global scale. Look at verses 3 through 6. So Paul is writing to this, this family, these Christians, and he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the love, the Lord Jesus, and for all the saints. Now, I, I think it's really important. If you've read Philemon before, you, you probably realize that there's a couple different ways to read it. The first time I read it, I thought Paul is really kind of a sneaky dude, right? I mean, like he's he's kind of he's kind of manipulative. That's what I thought. I thought he's 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 buttering. Philemon up and said, you're awesome, you're wonderful, I know you're going to do the right thing, I don't even have to tell you to do the right thing, because I know you're going to do the right thing. If I did that with my kids, right, sometimes I do that with my kids, you know, okay, now I know I don't even have to tell you to brush your teeth tonight, because I know you're just going to do it, I know you're going to do it, you know, but I'm kind of being a little bit sarcastic, because I don't really think they're going to do it, which is why I'm telling them to do it. But I think that's the wrong way to read what Paul is writing to Philemon. He really is thankful in the Lord for this brother in Christ, and he has heard all kinds of good things about Philemon 's faith and his love for Jesus and his love for other people, and he really does believe, I think, that, that Philemon will do will indeed do the right thing. He says this, and I love this verse, although I've, I've, I've read commentators say it's, it's challenging to translate, so I'll read it out of a different translation as well, but he says, "I pray." That the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. The New Living Translation, and I'll put this on the screen here at the end of the lesson, but he says this. I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith. As you experience the wonderful blessings that you have in Jesus, I'm praying that what happens is your faith becomes effective in being generous, in doing for others what was done for you, right? I mean, when Paul talks about, I mean, a great example, Philippians chapter 2. I think about that passage all the time. If you read Philippians 1 and Philippians 2, you know, we've, we use this passage all the time when Paul says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Work out your own salvation. Well, I've heard Christians use that all kinds of different ways, right? Like, well, you know, you just got to work out your salvation. I'll work out my salvation. You just do your thing. I'll do my thing. You do you and I'll do me. You know, so sometimes people use it like that. So sometimes people use it as if to say that you got to work hard, you know, you got to work out your own salvation because it totally depends on you doing all the right, you know, checking all the right boxes. But if you'll go through and you'll read what Paul is saying in the context, he's saying you've got to you've got to grow up into your salvation. This is what a saved life looks like, Philippians chapter 2. It looks like having the mind of Jesus. Well, what does it look like to have the mind of Christ or the mind of Jesus? What does it look like to have Christ's mind in you, well, it means you look out for the interests of others and not just your own interests. It means that you consider others to be more significant than yourselves. It means that you you take, it's everything we talked about on Sunday, isn't it? You take the cross of Jesus, his self-giving love and faithfulness, and you model your life after that. You give yourself For others. It's what John says in 1 John 3 16. He gave his life for us, he laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for one another. That's what it looks like to have the mind of Christ. And that's what it looks like to grow up into your salvation or fulfill your salvation or work out your own salvation. Is you've you've got to be diligent to become this kind of person, for your faith to become effective. It's not, Christianity isn't just about you believe and you get saved, you get baptized, you get saved, and and then you go to heaven. It's not just about that. It's about God rescuing his creation by you and I slowly and through a process, we become different kinds of people. Our faith becomes generosity. Our faith in Jesus, it so shapes us because we're so enamored by and we're so enthralled with the cross of Jesus Christ and what God has done for us that the generosity and the blessings that were poured out on us we turn around and we pour those blessings out on other people we can't help but do it and so that's Paul's prayer Paul's prayer is that this is the kind of faith that Philemon has and will continue to have and will have especially in this case with Onesimus as he sends Onesimus back Back home, verses 7 through 9. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Do you see? That's exactly what he's, he will later ask, he will ask Philemon to do the same for him. Refresh me. Do you see? I mean, that's, that's what God has done for us. God has refreshed us and blessed us and given generosity to us. And so what do we do? We turn around and we do that for other people, right? The gospel has to change us. And and Paul's saying, I know that this is exactly the kind of person you are. And this is why I'm writing to you the way I'm writing to you. This is why I'm telling it to you the way I'm telling it to you. I'm not just giving you a list of things to do. I'm not just laying it out and saying, you've got to do this. You don't have any choice in the matter. I know you. And I know you love Jesus. And I know you love Jesus' people. And I know that Jesus' people are blessed by having known you. I know that the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, accordingly. Though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. He's going to tell him what it is that he wants him to do. What I'd really like for you to do is give Onesimus your blessing. And I would love for Onesimus to be here with me, continuing to help me in my ministry and and minister to me. I would love for that to happen. And so, but he says, listen, I'm not going to command you. I'm not going to command you to do what's required. I'm an apostle of Jesus. I could do that, he's saying. I could just tell you what to do, but I'm not going to. And again, Paul isn't doing this to be manipulative. Paul is doing this because this is how gospel works, right? This is the way it should work in the church. He says, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. That's how it should work in the church. We're, we know what somebody else should do, right? And sometimes you're in that situation and you know what someone else should do and, and you would really like for them to do it. And they're a Christian and you know they ought to do it. I mean, it's really easy to just say, well, just do it and stop it, you know, and just lay it out there. This is what you have to do. But but that's not how Paul normally operates. Even with like the church in Corinth, you remember church in Corinth? I mean, man, they were were something else, right? But Paul would say things to them like listen, you need to give and you need to help your brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, but I don't want to command you to give. I don't want your giving to be out of, remember, compulsion, because God loves what? A cheerful giver. I want to appeal to you. I want this to be your idea. I want this to be something that you do because you're motivated by Jesus to do it. What what good is it? What glory to you is it if I command you to do it? And you're just like, fine, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it because Paul told me to do it. But how often is our Christian obedience that way? And we do it because some preacher told us we had to do it, or we do it because we feel like we have to, and we give out of compulsion. It doesn't mean stop giving and stop doing and stop serving. It means let the cross of Jesus change why you do what you do, because it matters, doesn't it? It matters in your relationship with God. It matters because this is the way that we are changing the world. It's because the cross of Jesus has changed us. And that ought to change the way that we treat other people. And so Paul's saying, listen, I, I want you to do it for the right reason, not just because I told you to do it. I want it to be your choice. Look at the rest of verse 9. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment, Formerly, he was useless to you, but now, indeed, useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Right? And so sometimes I think we, we ought to stop and think about the way that we try to motivate other people to do the right thing, right? Do, do the right thing, be loving, be generous, be hospitable, be whatever, how we try to motivate other people and how we ourselves are motivated. Because it shouldn't, it shouldn't be because somebody is driving us, compelling us to do something, that we do what we should do. It's because the gospel has changed us and transformed us. When Onesimus gets back to town receiving this letter, Philemon should say, brother, brother, how I missed you. Brother, let me put some new shoes on your feet and a new robe on your back. Brother, let me get you something to eat. But only Only someone who has been transformed by the good news of Jesus could do that to someone they used to own, like a piece of property. Somebody who may have stolen things from him. Somebody who ran away. Somebody who, under law, he could punish. But Paul expects his response, Philemon's response, when Onesimus gets back, not to be, how dare you, I can't believe you did this, you're going to pay now. Not for that to be his response but for his response to be, brother, welcome home. Let me serve you, let me love you. And Paul wants that kind of goodness to be Philemon's idea, not his. Look at verse 15. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but much more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Do, do you see? Do you see how, and we're going to talk about it in just a second on, on Paul's perspective, but, but the gospel had changed Onesimus. Here's a guy that ran off. Why did, he, why did he leave Philemon in the first place? Why did he leave? I guess he didn't like being a slave or especially a slave under Philemon. It wasn't pleasant. He didn't like it. I don't know why he left, but he left, and now he's coming back. Why? I mean, you know what could happen? You know how dangerous that might be? Why is he coming back? Because the gospel transformed him. Why is it that Paul expects Philemon to receive him, not as a servant, not to say, okay, you you missed a lot of work, get back. No, 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 not as a bondservant, but now as a brother. Why? Why why would he do that? Because the gospel transformed him. And and, and we, looking at it through our 21st century eyes, we could look back and we say, why, why didn't Paul just say, don't you know, Philemon, that slavery is awful and nobody should own anybody else? And this whole system, and granted Roman slavery is different than American slavery was, but Regardless, we look at it and we say, "Well, why didn't you just say this is wrong? You shouldn't do it because of exactly what Paul is laying out. This kind of gospel motivated, self-giving love destroys slavery. Right? There's no way if if Philemon was changed by the gospel the way that Paul hoped that he was, there is absolutely no way." he could treat his brother the way some slave owners or masters treated their bondservants. There's no way he could. If the gospel had changed him, then he would do exactly what Paul suggests that he do and embrace him not as a bondservant, but as a brother in Jesus, in the flesh and in the Lord. That's what the gospel does. Do you see? Do do you see how a, a huge worldwide system like slavery. I mean, Paul could have gone about saying slavery's wrong. If you're a slave, run away, do whatever you have to, break free. Paul could have gone through Rome and just told, "But do you know what they did with when there were slave riots and rebellions? They started just massacring people." But instead, Paul dismantled the evils of slavery. Jesus dismantled the evils of slavery. How? by teaching people to love each other as brothers. That good destroyed evil. And there are still systems in place, worldwide global systems and things that go on in the world. There's evil in the world that you and I participate in breaking down and bringing light to by doing what? Good, simple, loving, faithful, wise, innocent obedient, good, no longer as a bondservant, but much more as a beloved brother. Look at verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, then receive him as you would receive me. Now, I mean, that's radical. Again, I, I, I do too. Sometimes I wish he would just say, hey, it's wrong to own Onesimus. You don't own him anymore. That's ridiculous. That's done. Forget it. You know, I wish he, I, sometimes I wish he would have said that. But what he says here is even more radical, even more world changing. He says, when you receive him, you receive him as you would receive me. I mean, imagine that. If, if Philemon really did exactly what Paul suggests and treats Onesimus coming home, like exactly like he would the Apostle Paul showing up. I, I, I made dinner for you. Here's a new set of clothes for you. Here's a room for you. What else can I do for you, brother? I'm so glad that you're here, my brother. Imagine what that would have done throughout the Roman world. This is exactly what Paul says in Ephesians chapter six when he talks about masters and servants. He says, listen, yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you're a servant and you and you work in someone's household, then you serve them like you would be serving the Lord. But here's the other thing. Masters, you do likewise. Likewise, serve serve them like you're serving the Lord. And Paul says here to Philemon, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all, if he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I'll repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Do you see that? Charge that to my account. Paul's relationship with God was reconciled by Jesus doing exactly this, right? By by saying, charge that to my account. That's what Jesus did for Paul. He reconciled Paul to God by saying, charge that to my account. I will swallow the poison. I will take the debt on myself. I will die so that you can be reconciled. And that truth so changed and transformed Paul that now he's doing that for other people. I want the two of you to be reconciled so badly that whatever he owes you, I'll pay it. Charge that to my account. Of course, Paul also recognizes the fact that Philemon himself owes Paul. I mean, and what what if, what if human beings really began to live this way? I am so committed to peacemaking and reconciliation and unity. I am so committed to people coming together, regardless of what's happened in the past. I'm so committed to relationships being healed and reconciled and people being united that I'm willing to pay the price. Is there often a a price that has to be paid for peacemaking? Yes. And Paul says, because Jesus did that, that's, that's what I do. Because Jesus is willing to suffer to reconcile heaven and earth, because Jesus is willing to suffer to reconcile all things, that's what Paul ends up doing. And isn't that the kind of life that we are called to live? And imagine how that changes the world. When one relationship at a time, when one misunderstanding at a time happens and then Christian people step in and say, listen, charge it to my account. I am so committed to peacemaking and reconciliation and unity that you can charge it to my account so that the two of you can be one. Verses 21 through 24 confident of your obedience. And again, I don't think he's saying that manipulatively. I think he really is confident of Philemon's obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's ask a couple questions before we close. When was the last time that the gospel compelled you to help make peace between two people in conflict? Not not take sides necessarily, but to simply step in and help to make peace. I was watching a video uh, this week on social media, and and there were a couple of teenagers in the street just you know duking it out. I mean, they were just beating each other up, and there was a whole crowd of people laughing and watching and videotaping these two teenagers, just beat each other up. And this bystander, who didn't have a dog in the fight at all, it wasn't his fight, he he had no reason to be compelled to stop it, walked in and said, stop, knock it off, and he he forced them to shake hands. He didn't take sides with either one, he just said, knock it off, and he stepped in. Was he putting his own life in jeopardy? Absolutely he was, because they could have turned on him. But he was willing to do that. See, that's what Jesus does for us. That's what the cross does for us, right? I mean, when we said that on Sunday, that that our moral standard, our ethical standard, our way of judging what's right and what's wrong, what behavior should be commended and what behavior should be criticized, is shaped by, and it has to be shaped by, the cross of Jesus. This is Jesus' command all through the Gospel of John. Here's my command love one another as I have loved you. I'm laying down my life so that your sins can be paid for and so that there can be peace and there can be unity. When is the last time that we saw two people in conflict? Like Paul. I mean, Paul could have just said, listen, listen, Uh, Onesimus, stay here with me, forget about Philemon, stay in Rome, you're a long way from there, he'll never find you, hang out with me, we'll just forget about it. But instead, he sets about this mission of reconciliation. Why? Because that's the mission of Jesus, to bring people together. Even when it's dangerous, even when it's hard, even when Paul has to put his leverage, his own relationships and his own money and his own life. And and in fact, that's exactly what, what Onesimus is willing to do. When was the last time the gospel compelled us to make peace? When was the last time you volunteered to cover over someone's transgression in order to bring people together? Charge that to my account. Let's end with Philemon chapter one and verse six from the New Living Translation. Again, I love this translation. It says, I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ, it changes everything. Understanding that God is rescuing creation and He started with you and with me, that we are the first fruits of the new creation. If anyone is in Christ Jesus, He is a new creature. You are brand new. He's changing the world. He's rescuing the world. And he began with us. And that we participate. We participate in making war with darkness and bringing the light by simply living out the generosity that's been extended to us. That generosity that's been extended to us in Christ Jesus, it changes us. And this is Paul's prayer. And this should be our prayer that we will put into action the generosity that comes from our faith as we understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Let's pray. Most Holy Father, Lord, we do pray exactly that. We pray, Father, that our lives, our generosity, our love, our willingness to give of ourselves, and even, Father, give ourselves, that it is changed and shaped, motivated by the cross of Jesus, what has been done for us, the hope that we have of resurrection and eternal life with you, knowing, Father, that our life is yours and that we no longer live. The life that we live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Because he was willing to lay down his life for us, may we, Father, be willing to lay our lives down for one another. Father, mold us and shape us. Help us to meditate on the cross. Help us, Father, to be changed by the good news of Jesus. Father, thank you for those that have gathered here tonight. We pray that you bless each and every one. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.